everyone, welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 110. Your weekly Magic the Gathering podcast covering everything well of Magic the Gathering. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, mtggoldfish.com, and now on YouTube. Joining me as always, Richard, the owner of MTG Goldfish. How are you, Richard? Hey guys, what's up? Doing well. The, the dedication. I love it, Richard. I haven't showered in like three days, <laughs> sitting out here in the middle of the desert, and yet... I'm still looking at Modern Master spoilers. <laughs> Popping up. It's beaming in. Uh, Seth, probably no, better known as Saffron Olive, our resident jank brewer and all-around Magic the, Gathering, Magic the Gathering content creator. What's up, Seth? What's up, guys? Ready to talk some Modern Masters. This set looks insane. So hyped. Hyped. Uh, and Chaz, as always. Uh, just general content creator for Magic the Gathering, focusing on the financial aspect. So... Uh, on the docket, Modern Masters 2017, we're just going to jump into the spoilers. We have a lot to talk about, a lot of uh, uh, some general meta things about, you know, Modern Masters whenever this time rolls around. It's it's good to talk through uh, a few different points. Uh, that will lead us into uh, an interesting conversation uh, set that we had over, you know, Twitter this morning about data discussion. And then we'll wrap things up with fish mail. Uh, no goal fishing this week. We want to just keep it a little bit shorter. We did have a few longer casts there, so... Uh, we will have that back for next week. Uh, we just want to get things going because Rich is on borrow time. So just let's just jump right in. Modern Masters 2017. What do you think so far, Richard, out there in the desert? <laughs> so, you know, I, I popped into Starbucks, crawled out of the desert, and then boom, damnation. <laughs> right? Uh, enemy fetches, goblin guide, restoration angel. And then uh, I guess we got guild gates and trilands at common and uncommon. But... Everyone's going nuts. The the value is off the charts, and I think if we just stopped here, people would be satisfied. I think we got everything we wanted, right? Damnation, fetch lands, goblin guide. I guess we need Liliana and Snapcaster. But so far, we're off to a, a big start. Uh, everyone is hyped. People are looking at those boxes at 180 with a with a second look now, and I I think people are really hyped for Modern Masters. I think Wizards spoiled the cards in the right order because everyone is pretty hyped. Well said. Seth, what do you think? You've been kind of keeping track of uh, where we are in terms of value. Oh, well, I mean, so far the set's insane. Uh, I figured it out earlier, and right now, at current prices, so uh, before prices drop and whatnot, the average rare value is something like $44, which obviously will go down. We have a lot of the most high-value rares possible already uh, revealed, but you could literally have every other rare be bulk, and the rares would still have an average value of, like, 750 or something, which is insane. Like, it's it's looking like the value of this set's going to be incredibly high, maybe even more than Modern Masters, uh, the original Modern Masters, which is super exciting. This is literally like every modern card so far that people wanted is all of a sudden showing up in this set, which is super sweet. I'm a little nervous about the supply. Like, that's my concern. Uh, With Modern Masters, uh, the original, there was some really feel-bad situations where boxes were like $400 because the supply was so low, and then Modern Masters 2 was like the opposite, and the set wasn't very good, and no one really bought them, and it was cheap. So I'm hopeful that they're going to print this in enough supply that people are actually going to be able to buy some boxes, because it looks like an awesome set for people to buy, and probably draft with as well. There's so much mana fixing, and there's going to be crazy five-color decks, so I'm really hopeful all around. I just hope there's enough supply that players actually get to play with the set 
Yeah, I, I think that's really the question here. And I have to say, it's already exceeded my expectations. And we were all pretty, I mean, I think we were all blindsided, especially us, because we just had this discussion. We did not think Fetchlands would be in there. I did not think Fetchlands would be in there. But I think it's a good thing that Fetchlands are in there. Obviously, you have to sell the set. It really makes sense. I didn't think they would do it, but they went ahead and done it. And, and it, again, it just really makes sense. And there's a few other kind of storylines you can actually go from there just by looking at the Fetchlands and Modern Masters 2017, which we can discuss. But so far, I mean, you're absolutely right, Seth. The, the value is is already in there. A few more key inclusions, and we're, we pretty much have a, a really well-rounded set, even if the rest of the cards are stinkers. I mean, it, it's, it's already, you know selling into you know everyone's hyped everyone's buying up the boxes and i do think you know the, the thing is I, I think the 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 supply is there i'm getting kind of some mixed reports that there's more or you know maybe just a little bit more than modern masters 2015 but the allocation's different so some people may have thought originally that there's just like this ton of supply but only the premier stores are getting like so much more than before so it's kind of creating this illusion that there's somehow more of them but I mean, we could run into an Eternal Masters where we just get another, like, whole, like, here's a Christmas print run or something like that. So you never, or a summer print run or something like that. So you never know. And, I mean, the big thing is these are all rares. Every card we're talking about, Damnation, Fetches, Goblin Guide, that's the rare slot. And one of the biggest complaints overall from the last Modern Masters was it was extremely heavily weighted towards Mythics. They were really yeah. expensive Mythics, but most of the packs you opened... Were, just weren't worth it, and they felt really bad. Actually, on average, you could do an entire draft and crack three packs and end up with all bulk rares. It was like a normal outcome, because unless you were getting lucky and getting a Mythic, you were pretty much only had a couple of possible options that were really going to be worth it in the rare slot. Uh, this is kind of flips that on, the, on its head, that whole situation. So now there's going to be a lot of good opens because the good cards are in the rare slot. So even if we end up with a bunch of Dombri raids at Mythic that aren't really that valuable, that's, I think, actually a good thing from the perspective of players because you get more consistent value by having good rares and having these really crazy high-end Mythics. All right, hold up. Negative Richard has to come in here. <laughs> Negative Richard. What do you guys feel about enemy fetches? Yeah, it's great that we get enemy fetches, but they're in this limited print run product, right? They're not going to be as cheap as the cons fetches. And I don't know, like, where do you think Scalding Tarn will end up? Do you think people will even put Scalding Tarns in their decks? Because I predict the price will not drop that much. And you get this kind of unbalanced mana base still where you have a ton of supply of cons fetches and then this very limited supply uh, of I guess the modern masters three fetches now what was the retail before the announcement like 60 uh tarn tarn was yeah 79 star city's already pre-ordering them for 49.99 just to give you like a number so Compare there's, there's that already... to ten dollar polluted deltas or whatever when cons came out right right I mean obviously they're not going to be Cons fetches, but I, I think this is an indicator that they don't want they they want fetches in these kind of sets and not in standard anymore. I think they like they tried the experiment. They don't want fetches in standard anymore, so they're just going to push them into these modern masters product at rare to really sell ten dollar packs. I mean, this is and you said it best, Seth. I mean, this is really what people wanted, and we've we've talked about through this, and you know, you can go back far back into the podcast history when we talked about modern masters twenty fifteen. 
I mean, there's still a lot of product out there, but no one bought it. I mean, this is what sells this type of product. So I'm, I'm okay with them putting the, putting it in here, but I, I did not see this coming uh, in the slightest. I, I thought maybe the filter lands, which still would have been pretty good, stuff like, you know, Horizon Canopy, Cavernous Souls, which is, could still be in there, but um, those would have been enough to even still continue to sell. But these, I think there's enough to kind of, you know, soak up a lot of the demand. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I just did some research on price drops uh, for my article that came out last night, and pretty much like 50%, like a half decrease is where most of the big cards land for Modern Masters, so that's essentially what I would expect. We'll see uh, Scalding Tarns maybe in the $40-ish price range. Uh, the other ones, which are like around 60 maybe around $30, so they're not going to be as cheap as the cons fetches, but that's still a pretty reasonable discount. I think for me, the big question is what this means going forward, and I think I see two potential paths forward. One is... Wizards uses fetches in this limited supply set to sell the set, make a bunch of money, and then cashes out the rest of their equity by putting them in a standard set in the next year or two. The other thing, and I want to hear your guys' opinions on this, with the way this set is looking, and it's still early and we could get a whole bunch of bulk and the hype dies down, but the way this set is looking, it's looking like they just pulled out all the stops and put every card people have been asking for for Modern for years into this set. Uh... Why are they doing this now after a pretty tepid uh, Modern Masters 2015 edition? Uh, why are they doing this now when they're, like, in some ways pulling support from the format? Is this a sign that they're just, like, cashing out in Modern altogether and we're going to see the the Frontier or pseudo-Frontier announcement and have Frontier Masters in 2019 or something? Like, mm. what pathway whoa, forward whoa, whoa, whoa. is this going? <laughs> Jumping the gun here, Damnation yeah, Creeper. Yeah. The only card we've seen is like Damnation and Goblin Guide. We knew that's just a BB printed at some point. Goblin Guide's been on the, the to-do list, and of course Damnation's been on the to-do list forever. So I think it's too early to, to jump the gun. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if, say, Lilian the Veil was somehow excluded from the set. You know, we haven't seen Snapcaster, although that's a shoo-in. So I don't know that they're cashing in yet. Like, is this any different than the first Modern Masters? You know, you can only go so far putting Comet Storms in your set, right? And maybe Wizards realized this, and now they gave us good cards. Yep. But there's plenty of room for disappointing mythics, and there's plenty of room for disappointing raids. Yeah, there, there still is, but I think it will, it will still be well-rounded. And the key thing here, and like you said, Seth, a lot of this stuff is at rare. So they're kind of, you know, shoring up that middle ground where you're opening up these packs and you're not getting, you're getting more value in the rares and not so top-heavy, so it's not like every other pack just seems like completely, or maybe one, not even every one, every other pack. Like most packs just seem like not worth it for ten dollars. I think they're overcompensating, and you know, contrary to popular belief, they actually do listen to players sometimes uh, to make good executive decisions to put cards like this to sell the product and to sell modern to people, and it can still be a thriving format even if they're kind of pulling back the reins on the support of the format at a high level. And you know how you do that? It's kind of a one-two punch here. You don't have it as Pro Tour, so you don't have these wacky bannings and price spikes and all that that you know has to do with a Pro Tour because we all know that happens. And you print actually good cards in a supplemental product like Modern Masters. That's how you, so, keep, that's how you lower the barrier. 
to Seth's first point, I think this is the new time we're going. This, you know, the fetch lands will be in Modern Masters 2019. The price will be high. Put it in again, and boom, instant bestseller. So I, I think we're going to see fetches for the foreseeable future in Masters products. Uh, if they're not willing to put them in standard sets now, I don't see them doing it in the future. Yeah, I think you're right. I think this really, it comes down to this was the best product to put it in. I mean, we've talked about this almost ad nauseum, but I mean, short of a standard set, this where else do you put fetches? Will you put them in a, in a supplemental product to sell it format? From the vault, fetches? <laughs> I mean, you could do that, I guess, but... And then it's like Evolving Wilds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, the, the Mirage tapped fetches. Uh, yeah, I, I do think... I do appreciate because it, it always is good to look to the future, Seth. I, I do think there's a lot of variables that we can't really, you know, look at now. And I, I, I'm kind of leaning with Richard here where we might be jumping in the gun a little bit. Um, I, I don't know, like, putting fetches into Modern Masters 2017 equates to everything that you were talking about. All right. Well, let me, let me, and you're <laughs> probably right, but let me just go through my thought process. We, uh, we sure sure we've seen that they've been pulling back a bit on modern support we spent a whole cast talking about that from wizard's perspective uh we also at least in my opinion i think the way they make the most money off of fetches is putting them in a standard legal set uh because you don't have the supply constraint that you get with modern masters you can theoretically just sell more and more and more of that standard set when you get capped out with a master set because it's limited supply and we also have marrow saying that if he was running a frontier format along with saying that they think they'll have some format like that eventually he wouldn't want fetches in it he doesn't think that's the right way for that format to be so by moving fetches to modern masters you theoretically no longer have to put them in standard sets which i think they like anyway which also opens the door for a magic origins forward format that cuts out cons Mm -hmm. and becomes the new frontier with no fetches because they don't have the pressure to put them in a standard set to get the supply up anymore so it might be a tinfoil hat thing but all of those things together (laughs) i'm all for the tinfoil make me point it makes me think things point in that direction somehow but this this theory doesn't make any sense because if we're saying wizards is pulling back on modern support because it doesn't sell why would they be so trigger happy on frontier because it's also you know a a non-limited and non-standard format why would they want to support it right i think they will support it when the the players force their hands right when the players protest enough and complain enough that they have to make it a sanctioned format but i don't think they'll just run in and replace modern because they don't want a frontier pro tour they don't want frontier at the at the highest levels of play like what is the point of supporting this thing so it has the exact same downsides as modern according to wizards uh actually even worse right because you can't even make a frontier master set to sell expensive staples so I, i don't think wizards wants to jump the gun and kill modern and support frontier yeah, I mean, this is all kind of like going way out there to, to kind of analyze just one set. But um, my view is that they they pulled back the support for modern. And when I say that, I mean people kind of misconstrued our what we said on the podcast and all that. Like, it's not dead by any means. I think it's still very successful. Obviously, it doesn't need to be at the pro tour to be successful. Um, I think they wanted to kind of buoy standard a little bit more because it's been struggling and they've always supported standard like literally i think we said this again on the podcast not too long ago that they've always kind of propped up standard forever so it's not it's nothing new how you and again how you lower the barrier is you don't prop up modern 
it's almost better that the pros aren't like kind of messing with this format too much at, at the pro tour at a high level and it lets them reprint all these cards and lower the barrier of entry if everyone likes modern so much well then you get the benefit of it not being at the pro tour and influencing the market so much and causing all this wackiness and you get to push out more product like this it just seems so strange to me that we had like zero hype for this set going up until today essentially like not <laughs> a peep out of wizards no they were talking Amoncat and like other stuff and then uh, they apparently knew the whole time that it was going to be this super crazy thing with fetch lands and damnations and all this stuff that is somewhat surprising and really exciting so it's just the whole situation just feels odd to me like i don't design. know why they it's, didn't that's hype by it. design that's by design it has to Mar- be marketing because, genius marketing yeah, genius. yeah exactly how do you create hype make no hype at all <laughs> like you literally don't talk about something, and then when something exceeds expectations, I mean, I even sent out a tweet about this. I think people were down on the set because they they had this like preconceived notion that they can't make a good modern master set, and then boom, there you go. Here's fetches. Here's a goblin guide. Here's damnation. Probably a, a bunch of other nice stuff in there, and and everyone's happy. You don't even need to like market it at all because it's going to do it. That it's going to do that itself. Well, tinfoil hat theories aside, I am very happy, and this set looks. I said yeah. on Twitter, I think this looks like the the best potential, at least. It's still early, but to yes. be the best modern master set they've printed. Period. Even better than the first one. Like I think. Yeah, I do. Yeah, that there's I, a I realistic shot that that happens. So I'm really. I mean, it's ex- already better than Modern Masters 2015. I don't even think like that was even hard to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean they could print the rest of the cards as bulk and it would still probably be better than 2015 which was a little disappointing but i'm super excited for it and i as long as this supply is somewhat reasonable this is going to do a lot of what people wanted with lowering that barrier to entry into modern yeah let let, let me touch on that actually a little bit despite i mean even if it's a pretty like a still pretty big quantity of supply you should not wait forever like i mean history and data shows that a lot of these staples in these sets do come at a discount for a little while, and they almost always trend back in the other direction. I mean, some of the stuff like Stoic Angel and Restoration Angel and maybe even Goblin Guide, like, yeah, that'll probably be, you know, you're going to have a pretty big price reduction on those for quite some times, but hot, you know, items like Fetchlands and Damnation and I'm sure a few, you know, Marquee Mythics and Snapcaster Mage, like, those won't stay discounted forever. Because once when you release sets like this, it re, it creates renewed interest, and then everyone's scrambling for these cards, and then all of a sudden, you know, six months from now, you're looking at, you know, not maybe back to where they were, but pretty pretty close. The, other the good th- thing is, is it's selling. the 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 issue with twenty, uh, we saw this a lot in Modern Masters 2015, where almost all the cards rebounded. I mean, even like Tezzeret, just because no one was buying the set. Yeah, and I mean, as long as there is enough for people to buy and we don't run into the original Modern Masters problem where you literally just could not get a box because they were so scarce and so expensive, then I think that people are definitely going to buy this product. There's no doubt about that. The other thing is, I've heard some people saying, oh, the supply is going to be huge. Don't worry about buying a box right now. Like, you'll get one later. You can already get boxes for like 180 bucks on uh, Mass Drop and some other places, and 
no matter how big the supply is with this set, I I can't imagine that you're going to do significantly better than that. No, <laughs> there, I, I, I mean, you'd be pulling. You should be pulling the trigger like now. So if if you, you want for a paycheck or whatever, but, yeah, if yeah. you want a box, yeah. like 180 is a great price with what we've yeah. seen so far. You you can be risky and wait for an eBay deal. <laughs> That's you could do that. Off. You but, could yeah, do that, but I, think, I don't yeah. think they're going to get any cheaper. Uh, no. You're going to need a special deal to get a better rate than this, uh, especially since we still have another week of spoilers to go. Like, imagine if Liliana and Snapcaster are confirmed. Imagine the hype on these boxes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Just a quick question, just to wrap things up, though. Seth, you were pretty blindsided by these fetches. Are you – you sent out a couple of tweets. So are you in the camp now that we won't see fetches in, in standard formats, or do you, do you think that still could possibly be a thing? I mean, I I think that it's still possible, but seeing them show up in the Masters Edition set could, I think it could be a signal that Wizards is really serious about not putting them in Standard anymore. Like, they've, yeah. they've said that they don't really like them in Standard or want them in Standard, right. but I think their love for making money gets the better of them, and they're like, oh, we could, this is like <laughs> such an easy way to sell a set. We, we'll just bite the bullet and do it. But the fact that they are intentionally putting them in Modern Masters when they could have put them in Omni cat and made even more money theoretically makes me think they're really serious about keeping them out of standard moving forward yeah i I do think it leads a little bit into that tinfoil hat like theories of a new format which i do think at some point could it's definitely possible uh to keep fetch lands pretty much out of standard my my whole thing was i believe if they took a shot at a new format it would be two set blocks forward and it will still take like maybe a, a couple of years because i mean to me and this is this is them saying this that each of these sets is so successful and they don't have fetches in them. Like, they said Battle for Zendikar was successful. They said, like, Shadows of Innistrad was successful. So if all of these sets are successful without fetches, I, I don't... I mean, I don't see the need to throw them in there. They're already doing well. Yeah, but, I mean, sooner or later they'll have a set that's kind of blah and they're like, we don't have any great mechanics. <laughs> like, we kind of want to, like, go on vacation for a couple yeah, weeks. Yeah, then that Let's ruins, just throw like, the fetch- new format. Let's just throw like, fetches once they're in, in there. there. Yeah, once they're in there, they're in there. So... It kind of just ruins the whole like design theory. Uh, that's that's true. But I thought you said yeah. I mean, you can't undo it. I thought I thought you said I was crazy, and that wasn't what was happening, Jazz. <laughs> Are you on board with no, no, the no. tinfoil hat no, theory? No, 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 now? no. I I, I <laughs> agreed with you on that point. I'm just saying I I don't know if we can come to that conclusion like oh, okay right now. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> but I I can I can see us talking about this in episode 200. <laughs> Um, all right, moving on. So this is uh, honestly a lot uh, from you, Seth, this morning on social media. Uh, you talked about uh, data and, and what it does for the game. So why don't you just, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of people follow you, so they know what you're talking about, but please explain it for everyone else that listens. Okay, well, it basically started, someone uh, sent out a tweet last night. Oh, man, I cannot find the tweet uh, to give you the person's name, Chris, I want to say Mesconi or something like that, but someone sent out a tweet saying basically they thought that Wizards should stop releasing Moto decks, like uh, decks at 5-0 leagues and so forth, because that solves the format too quickly. Uh, and just having too much data leads to these solve formats, and... I am a big supporter of data, so I, I said that I think that that's silly, and that... Um, 
I think that this format's getting solved is more of a design issue than a Wizards releasing decklist issue. Like, uh, just having players pushed into specific obvious decks, like vehicles, for example. Like, you just take every card that says vehicles on it and <laughs> throw it in a deck, and you have a tier one deck. Or energy, if it says energy, you play it with Etherworks Marvel, and you have a tier one deck. Uh, that it's more of that issue than the data itself. And also that I think that getting rid of data widens the gaps between aspiring pros and grinders and real pros who have testing teams to uh, generate their own data, essentially, and uh, skip over the fact that Wizards wouldn't be releasing data. So, I don't know. What what are your guys' thoughts on data? Are we having solved or bad standard formats because we have so much data now, or is it something else that's uh, leading to our current standard formats? Interesting. Uh, for someone that runs a data-driven site, I would like to hear your response, Richard. So I used to be firmly in Seth's camp, but after doing this for quite a long time and ironically running the site that provides so much data, I'm starting to see the Watsi point of view. I do think that having so much data, quote-unquote, ruins the format. I think we can all agree that, let's say, the first two, three weeks of a new standard are the best weeks when there aren't established decks everyone is brewing everyone is trying things there's not a lot of data and you know people generally have fun and then pro tour happens and then suddenly it's the worst standard we've ever seen ever right and that is a you know a you can see directly that you know the pro tour releases data by that point we have a week or two of motor results and then the format kind of gets solved if you think back to the last you know good standard it was before the rise of all these sites that had all this data. So so in that sense, I agree. Like, if you look at Frontier, a lot of people like it because it's a quote-unquote brewer's paradise. But because we don't have deck lists, because there are no pros brewing. So, so yeah, like, in the perfect world, Wizards will make the perfect standard that has infinite possibilities. But let's be real. They, they, they hit that, like, once, you know, in 10 tries or something. Most of the other times, it's a okay standard or an above-average standard but it gets solved too quickly. Now, having said that, if you take away data from everyone, uh, everyone will riot, you know, we'll all hate it, and we'll all try to find that data anyway. So I think they're, they're st- it's like prohibition, right? Drinking is probably bad. It causes so many problems to society, but you can't take away drinking, right? Like, you just can't anymore. It's, it's kind of in there. So it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like that. Like, you just can't take the data away. We're used to it. We want it, and we're going to seek it. So, you know, even though it's probably bad for us, we're going to go for it. So I, I don't know that Wizards can do anything at this point, but I do think, you know, pushing back the Pro Tour to, you know, make make it naturally or something would, would help. Uh, but, you know, going around and banning sites or uh, removing their moto lists, I think will, will cause a big uproar. And I'm saying that not just as, you know, the owner of MTG Goldfish, but just as, like, a normal player. I'd be like... What the heck, guys? Like, we want data to make a better standard, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I, I think they're in a lose-lose situation at this point. I think you really nailed everything on the head, Richard. Basically, everything I was kind of mulling over. And I, we had a few tweets back and forth uh, about this, Seth, because I, I think I think you're right. I mean, as data is there and, and people are going to find it no matter what, I think you really can't pull it. You know, it, like Richard said, it's, it's there. It's in there. You can't really 
take it away now that people have gotten used to that fact. Uh, does it have? I mean, I can't. You know, I can obviously see the issues that come along with that. I, I'm with you, Richard. I mean, I'm not expecting Ravnica Time Spiral or Ravnica Kamigawa's standards anymore. Like that, you know, they they hit it every so once in a while where you do have these really diverse standards, regardless if there's so many people and all this data and everyone's brewing. You just have so many different decks. That's just not something we see all the time anymore. And you know, I get it, but. I mean, it's not something I think is going to change now, and you know, people are kind of just used to it. I want to ask you this, Richard. Do you, what do you think about the Moto list? Would getting rid of the Moto daily events or some number or the leagues rather now uh, would getting rid of some or all of those results would that even do anything or would we just be in the same place but it would be the paper results, uh, SCG results, Pro Tour GP results? Yeah. Would that even like? help anything really to not have just the moto data yeah i mean i think removing the hurt more because you're right everyone would just flock to the paper events uh but today the motor results kind of give you that innovation like you see with our instant deck text right you you find some weird janky deck that five would and you look at it like oh okay i see this idea and then you build on it so in that sense it's very helpful uh and we you know as long as we're publishing you know, top 32, top 64, six plus Windex, whatever, from Pro Tours, Star City Games events. The data will be there. It's, it will just come slower, and people will just put more weight on it. So the, the only way to make it a brewer's paradise is to go back to 1995 and, like, just not publish any lists whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think even if you didn't publish anything, I mean... Then we'd get reporters, right? We'd have the goldfish reporting team on the floor. (laughs) Right. Well, not even that. Yeah. And not even above that. I mean, people don't realize, like, it it worked back then because the player base was like a fifth of the size, right? Like, there's so many more people playing the game now that the information is going to get out or release into the wild one way or another. Whether it's Wizards reporting it or goldfish reporting it or any any other place reporting it. And And there's too many player types. Right. right, like right. the spikes want the lists, right? Like they don't care about whatever innovation came up with. Just give me the best list, and I will pilot it to perfection. Yeah. Whereas the Johnnies want to brew. They're like, no, don't give me these <laughs> lists. So you have these competing player bases as well. So it's just a lose lose. They can't really do anything at this point. Yeah, I mean, Some I'm get mad, right? Right. I, I never really. I don't. I mean, th- this day and age, like back then, I was like, oh yeah, like brew and there's all this stuff. There's all these decks, and I loved it. Like the two best standards to me. I mean, you had all these decks. That could still happen just by design. But uh, again, like when I hear Brewers Paradise these days with so many people playing the game, like it's almost impossible now. Like it, it it's cool. Like right, like Richard said, it's cool for the first few weeks, and then everybody's playing it. So then everyone kind of already figures everything out regardless if there's information. And even if, like, the top 5%, even if it, that stayed the same, like the top 5% are GP grinders and pros and all that, like, that is substantially larger now than it was before. So you still have X amount of people at the top brewing all these decks and figuring out, like, really what the best 
uh, combination of cards are for any given format. And I mean, the the other thing that we've kind of left out is the world is different than it was in 1995. Yes. Like, we have yes. the internet. You see this in the real world with uh, wiki, wiki links and fake news and propaganda. Like, information is out there whether people want it to be or not. That's just the world we live in with the internet. So, in some sense, I don't know how wizards can win the battle against the internet when uh, the United States government and all these other places, like, <laughs> you just can't do it. Like, that's the world we live in now. So it's unrealistic to expect us to go back to 1995 when no one has any deck lists and so forth. That's just not the world we live in with our current technology. So so here's a funny coincidence. I just launched Poke Goldfish, which is the Pokemon equivalent of MTG Goldfish. <laughs> Because there were no deck lists. This game is like 10 plus years old. There's no website that aggregates tournament results, so you can't find what the best decks are. And the best decks are paywalled behind uh, premium articles. So I launched that site, and immediately, all this feedback, everyone was like, thanks, you know, we didn't have this data. Well, thank God you came and saved us, and all this stuff. Like, people are itching for this metagame data. And... Yeah, <laughs> I think I mean Pokemon, right? Like I don't know, right? Yeah, and, and like, but now you Richard, you didn't even available at the staff of your hands, right? <laughs> but you didn't even need to like dress it up. You literally had like a like a basic page yep. just with the decks on it, and everyone just went nuts. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's what people want. Like they want data, and they want to make informed decisions. Although it may lead to a you know a, a stale standard or something, it, it lead to the downfall of it, but. You know, people want to be in control. They don't want stuff hidden from them. They want the data, and they want to do stuff with it. You know what it is, and, and this is a, uh, honestly a point that I was kind of thinking over too. You know what it is, and I get it because I'm a player also. People want to bring the deck and, that no one is playing and kind of just like destroy an FNM or a GP and all that. Like, and I, and I get it, and that can still happen, but. I don't think people want to get told, and because of all this information, and I don't know if it's a good thing or not. I, I think it's a good thing. Like people don't want to be like, well, every I know what everyone's playing, so I can play the same deck, but I have to play it better than somebody else, right? Like they don't want to take it upon themselves to like know that they have to play better to be at the top, right? Like they want to bring the deck that no one knows about, so they don't have to, you know, play, you know, I guess play better than everyone else, like using the same deck. I mean, it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow, but I mean, isn't it kind of better that you do know? And I, I'm I'm kind of arguing the other side a little bit that you know all the decks out there, and you can bring that same deck but play it better than everybody else. Well, that's the spike mentality, right? Right, <laughs> right. So I don't know, but let's move to fish mail. Pretty uh, wrap things up on a good note. We always get some interesting fish mail to lighten the mood. But I mean, I'm already super hyped about Modern Masters 2015, so I'm already in a great mood. Had me at damnation. <laughs> yeah, the much. one card I refuse to pay sixty plus dollars for a four mana wrath. So send your questions in at on Twitter uh, to hashtag mtgfishmail uh, at mtggoldfish, and we'll answer them on air. So first question from at JK Donati: Do you think Watsi should start using game clocks like chess on Moto at GPs and PTs to prevent slow play and draws? I have always thought that would be a good idea. Yes. The problem is, it's I don't know if it's even possible to implement that with how a game of Magic works. So, in theory, yes. In practice, I don't know if it could really work. I, I think it could work. The problem is you have so many... Same thing, right? Like, you have so many 
phases and interactions with it going back and forth in a game of magic. Right, with right, chess, right, it's right, like right, your right. turn, hit the clock, turn over, hit the clock. There would be like right. 10 or 20. Could you imagine a counter spell war with chess clocks where you're like, oh, okay, cast something, goes on the stack, hit my clock. You like think for a second, cast something, I got to hit the clock. It would just, I don't know if it would work out in practice. There's so many back and forth interactions in magic. Yeah, good point. I mean, I think it could work in terms of gameplay. Like, we do this today. We, You know, you pass the turn with your hand. Uh, you wait for your opponent to counterspell or whatever. So, you, you know, you could just press the clock. The real question is, can you bring, like, 5,000 chess clocks and set them out at the Grand Prix? <laughs> I think logistically, there's a problem. And you might say, well, if you're at the feature match area, you get the chess clock. But when you're not, you don't. And then that just makes all kinds of weirdness. Like, the top eight could have the chess clock. So I think it's more of a logistics thing rather than players playing with the clock. Because I think you can, you know, find a system that actually works with two players and a clock. But, I, uh, you know, tournament, we already have $90 Grand Prix and stuff. It's going to be like $2,000 Grand Prix if they have to <laughs> to every event. <laughs> Next question from Eric Judd 111 With Death Shadow Jund, or whatever it's called, on the rise, what are alternatives to Mishra's Bobble? Uh, there aren't any. I don't think there is any. Especially <laughs> with ProMand. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think there's anything that has that... It's pretty unique ability on, on that card, or just a unique card in general. I don't think you can find a substitute. I mean, that's... Pray and hope it's in Modern Masters 20. So. <laughs> what, what's that? What's that? What, what, like the Codex Shredder? The big thing like is the, you need you, you need it to go to the graveyard to turn on Delirium. Like that's yeah. that's one of the yeah. key interactions of the deck is not only is yeah. it card free but it triggers Delirium. Uh, so I don't think there's another card that does that in Modern, but maybe it'll show up in Modern Masters 2015. Like that's the reason it's so expensive is there really aren't good substitutes for yeah. it. And it, and it's from Cold Snap. I guess you could play you could play an A like Chromatic Star, Chromatic Sphere. It's not as good, but in theory, you play it on turn one, you get your mana back. Like that could be a bad substitute, but it might do the same thing. Next question from Yanaus Polis as the focus of Amonkhet. Do we get masterpiece planeswalkers? Would help sell a lot of packs. Yeah, I'm starting to lean towards yes. I I, I originally thought it might be gods, but I I could see planeswalkers. I, I think they're kind of like weeding us down that path. I think it's too soon. I think that's their trump card, and I think it's too soon to to pull out the masterpiece play. Yeah, but uh, they went I, with I lands, think... the boringest, <laughs> the boringest thing you could do, right? Lands, and then you got artifacts. You can't just jump to the best card type. Uh, at Maxi Wawa, please talk about renting cards at Mana Traders. Seth Mans on stream. Implications for the future. Oh, uh, so, all right. Seth, do you want to just briefly introduce what Mana Traders is so that uh, people know what we're discussing? Okay, Mana Traders is a MTGO bot site that sells cards on Magic Online. They started their own subscription program where you pay them X dollars a month from like 10 on the low end up to 60, I think, on the high end. And you can essentially borrow cards from them. Uh, I think the highest amount is 700 all the way down to like 100 at the lowest amount, depending on how much you pay for your subscription. So you borrow a deck, play with it for a while, trade those cards back in, and then you can borrow more cards with the credit you have. So that's the basic. Uh, theory of this is a subscription based model for Magic Online. 
one thing that enables is the potential for short-selling magic cards. You could uh, borrow the cards that you think are going to go down in value, immediately sell them to another bot for full price, wait for the price to drop, uh, say the card gets reprinted or something, rebuy copies at the new lower price, and return your loan order. Uh, so that would be one potential. However, I have talked to a couple of people on stream that have tried this, and they had big issues with the the cap like even though it says the maximum is like say $700 they were starting them off at a really low credit amount and then you get a little bit more each month like your credit limit goes up so for a lot of people it wasn't worth it because their starting credit amount was so far below the maximum that they couldn't even borrow a full deck for a format so that's one thing to keep in mind if you decide to try it what a way for wizards to rein that back in they just made it <laughs> subscription based I mean, I've been saying this for a long time. I know that there's, like, issues with the secondary market and how that all shakes out, but, man, wouldn't it just be easy for them to get, like, you know, 30 bucks a month or something, 25 bucks a month just from everybody from Moto? It's clearly they, they're doing These people are doing it. Yeah, I heard from other bot owners that they think uh, it is actually underpriced. Uh, the assuming you can get the full yeah. amount of credit that the price that Mana Traders is charging is actually cheap for the benefit you're getting. So, is that right? Because it looks expensive to me on paper. <laughs> if you're paying sixty bucks a month just to swap yeah, decks, like even a seven hundred dollar deck, that's ten percent, which is basically the spread you get uh, buying and selling cards on Moto. So unless you're actually someone like Seth who has to play a new deck like every 30 minutes, <laughs> like I, I can't see this actually working for you, especially yeah, but- since the overlap of decks. Like once you have the staples of a format, you know, the, the cost of a new deck is not actually $700 or whatever, but it's only, you know, $100 because a lot of the staples are shared. I, w- I will say the best part of this is they have a $10 a month plan and the maximum is 100 tickets, which is essentially the Budget Magic subscription. So if you want to play each and every Budget Magic deck that we make, you could get this $10 a month subscription every week, borrow the latest Budget Magic deck, test it out, play it for the week, then next week trade it in and get a new one for $10, which that is actually a pretty good deal. But but if you buy the deck, you make money due to the Saffronology. Yeah, but effect. yeah, but <laughs> what if people aren't like into like don't have the time for that? Have the time for what? Wait to buy everything, piece it everything back out to the bots, and like do all that whole thing. That this sounds like something for someone like me, which like I really don't care to be. I'd rather just pay the ten bucks and play the deck. The mechanics are the same, I think. Because yeah, if you buy from a yeah. deck from a bot, you actually just get the whole deck, and then you can just sell the, the whole deck back. So it does come down to price, I think. Or maybe peace of mind. Like, you don't need to worry about what you're selling at or right. you know, how much you paid, but you just know that you get a subscription fee, right? That's one of the, that's the positives I heard from Reddit people yeah. that had used it, is I don't have to worry about my cards getting reprinted or going down in value. Like, I just do this, and I don't have any of those secondary market concerns because I don't want to deal with MTG Finance, so this is good for me. Yeah, I mean, I would. That's what I've been saying this whole time. You pay like a one-time fee. I would play MTGO with with impunity. I mean, I wouldn't have to worry about anything. Well, go test it out, Chaz, and give us a review next week. All right. <laughs> you gotta have to test it out for a couple months though to ramp up your. Yeah. <laughs> your yeah. ramp up your <laughs> Hopefully, it doesn't crash. But yeah. All right. Uh, next question from Daniel Ferris regarding Magic the Gatewatch movie. 
Can you watch the trailer for Doctor Strange and not think MTG? What's Doctor Strange? Come on. What? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I, I don't remember putting that in any of my decks, so I don't know what it is. Oh, oh my god. I don't, I, I don't know, Chad. What do you think? When I watched it, it didn't really spark MTG in my mind. At least not the same way Power no. of did. Well, that's because yeah. Well, that's because we. I think you and I like we've known Marvel characters for so long. Like Doctor Strange, I didn't think of anything but Doctor Strange. <laughs> I, I guess I guess that's the planeswalker, and then he's planeswalking. He yeah, he's like a, he's a sorcerer. So I mean, that would pretty much be planeswalking in a nutshell with everything that he's done. I mean, to me, I get that there's like thousands upon thousands of comics and all these characters are really fleshed out. And I know there was like a Reddit thread saying like they don't know they don't like where the the story's going. And I know you don't like the Gatewatch stuff, but it's like what else do you what else do you push? Like what else do you push in the game? Like random legends? You know, they don't make books anymore. Like who's who's going to be like so like amped about I'll just use like the cons like uh I don't know, like Sorak the Dragon Call. Like, can you really get behind Sorak the Dragon Call and then you never see that character again? No, it's it's got to be the Brothers War. It's it's got to be the discovery of mana, right? And people that no actually one knows who this. those people are, though. You don't need to know, right? It's just a generic fantasy where these people discover magic, right? Because you don't have magic, right? And people would actually understand that as opposed to. Oh look, it's Jace Bellerin. Who the hell's Jace Bellerin? <laughs> and uh, he's he's driving some cars from a brainstorm for some reason. Like, who's gonna yeah. understand I, any of that? Yeah, this, right? I guess you ne- you never had that issue with like comic characters because like they've been around for like thirty years. But you know, like like if you wanted to watch a CG filled action superhero, you know, trope movie, are you gonna watch Magic the Gathering, which you never heard of, or will you watch, you know, some Marvel? Uh, intellectual property or some uh, DC comics or you know basically anything else like you can't compete on that level you need to compete somewhere else which is basically fantasy and magic and, and something like yeah that. I mean I mean Blizzard Blizzard pulled it off they they made a movie it didn't like wasn't terrible Did they? I, I thought Warcraft kind of bombed uh, yeah obviously Warcraft it's is not way, like... way way more known yeah I, I, I think the Rotten Tomatoes the last time I checked I think it was under 50% but don't don't quote me, but I I mean I I watched it as someone who knows the Warcraft lore just from like playing the Warcraft games back on you know my Macintosh, <laughs> and uh, you know I enjoyed it. It was fine, yeah. and it was an origin story, right? It kind yeah. of showed you. Yes, yes, it's pretty much origin came from. So. Yes, so I don't know. I, I think it needs to be an origin story, or you know I don't know like this uh, not Nissa Chandra gaining her spark or something like that. It, it cannot be the Gatewatch versus Nicol Bolas. Yeah, be, I don't think you be, can jump like, right in. Yeah, I, I kind of we've kind of talked about this. I, I don't think you could jump into the Gatewatch now that I think about it. All right, next question. Uh, also from Daniel Ferris. Uh, we need to kickstart a documentary about Saffron Olive trying to win a tournament with his Marvelous Paradox deck. <laughs> okay. That that would be a, a long documentary, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. At a big king 318. About to get into legacy. Should I go with Infect, Red Black Reanimator, Pox, or is there a better choice? I mean, it kind of depends on your your play style that you enjoy. I think Infect is the highest tier of those decks, followed by Reanimator, then Pox. That would be my ranking, but their play styles are very different, so I think that's part of it as well. Yeah, I, I think from a financial perspective like if that's part of the equation for your choice i think reanimator is cheaper pox has got to be 
the deeper yeah, right? maybe Pox is the cheapest, but it, but it might be the least competitive. Pox is not too competitive, so unless you really love that turn one yeah. Dark Ritual Liliana into a daze, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what usually happens. But I don't know, like you, it doesn't share cards with any other archetype. Even uh, Red Black Reanimator doesn't share that many cards. Whereas in fact, you're you're picking up. Uh, you know, tropical islands. You're you're picking up fetch lands that are useful. So you you have more state uh, that you can use for other legacy decks. So if you really have no preference, uh, I would say Infect because Infect is actually a decent deck. Uh, you have tons of footage from Tom Ross playing it, and it actually shares staples with the rest of the format. Whereas the other two decks are more kind of niche. And once you build that deck, that's it. You want to build another deck, you're paying full price. Uh, next question from Viper Johnny B. What are the chances of enough answers being printed that they unban cards in the future? In standard, uh, probably zero. If that's what that's in reference yeah, to. In I, modern, I don't think it's standard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, modern standard, probably, yeah. maybe, but standard. There, I don't think there's any chance we see cards get unbanned yeah, because of rotation too. There's a solid end date. It's not like yeah. five years from now they could unban them. So yeah, I just don't think they're far enough along that you're going to see the answers before the cards just like. Said, said just simply rotate. And if yeah, they the knew the window's too short for them to yeah. do anything. And if they really thought they had great answers coming, they probably just wouldn't have banned them in the first place and been like, oh, this problem's gonna solve itself in a set or two. Alright, next question. Ten point three K for round twelve of modern open versus six point seven K for standard GP final. Should Watsy be embracing modern more? I mean you could look at it as modern isn't embracing and it's already doing well on its own. And I mean there's there's some context to those numbers. Uh, it was a European GP, so the most well-known American players that you might be following were more likely to actually be at the Open. Uh, the common names that people might be following, it was Cedric and uh, Patrick, rather, that were doing the coverage, and they're like, people tune in just to watch them, compared to a couple of random European broadcasters that not everyone is familiar with. So I think there's some other reasons that people trended towards modern this weekend instead of standard. All right. Next question from at random Keho. MTG players love to complain. Because of it, is there such a thing as a perfect set? If so, can you describe it? Uh, starts with Blood Moon, continues on to Stasis, maybe a humility. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, there's there's no perfect set that I don't I, believe. If if I had to choose one, it would be the first Ravnica block because it was part of two <laughs> amazing standards. <laughs> For- for, if, for the perfect if Reddit set. was bigger, if the internet was more developed for magic, people would have found a way to complain. So, oh, and yeah, mark my sure. words, like how, no matter how much you're you love right. Masters 2017 right now, by the end of spoiler season, there'll be plenty of complaints. Oh and yeah, I, I think there's just always complaints, no matter that, what. Well, well that's why I put more credence into Wizards. Like I understand they listen to players, and I, Modern Masters 2017 is obviously a byproduct of that. They, they put in cards that people want, makes them happy. But more often than not, I'm going to, you know, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, and we do have our critiques of Wizards, and this is just coming as players, but I, I do think they generally make good decisions, and you can, you know, you have data to prove that, that the game's still alive. And if they, if they constantly listen to the players on everything, like, I, I don't think it would be that successful. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, we'll get corporate speak, so... The perfect, the most perfect set is the one that makes the most money. And yeah. given that every standard set has made more money than the previous one, 
then they're more perfect. I, I think that's the way Wizards looks at it. And given how much we like to complain, I think that's the only real way uh, we can do it. Because I don't know what when standard is perfectly balanced. There's not a Reddit post every five minutes talking about how perfect standard is. But if standard is slightly out of tune, like every five minutes is a new meme about how bad standard is. And that's just kind of how people are and how the internet works. That really is true. Uh, next question. At AJ Hewitt, did you all go to college? Where and what was your first major? What did you think you were going to do with your life? Uh, uh, I have a bachelor's in fine art and a master's in fine art. I have a bachelor's in psychology and was going to go on to grad school or was considering going to grad school when I just kind of fell into doing magic content stuff. So uh, I... And I'm glad I did. Uh, I have a bachelor's of software engineering. Yes, it is actually a bachelor's of software engineering, <laughs> which is not which is not typical because it's usually uh, of science or math. And yeah, I kind of just fell into goldfish. Uh, I made goldfish one day, then it took off, and uh, here we are. Uh, next question from at mean mean pork. If somebody was building a deck to troll each one of you, what card would they need to choose to troll you the most? Blue cards. <laughs> It's very easy to troll Chaz, though. <laughs> All the blue cards. Oh, man. I don't even know. Probably Infect in general is uh, what gets me the most, I think. You know, you know. honestly, if you really want... if This, this is just a quick origin story. <clears throat> if you want to know why I love green so much, this is, this is actually a true story. Uh, my friend, we used to, you know, go, you know, around to the stores in uh, New York... Um, we went to like Kingston and all this stuff and during Odyssey and like Onslaught I think made this deck uh, with patron wizard and like all these literally all these wizards that basically just counter everything like counter spell you had four spike you had patron wizard I don't even really know the other wizards I think there was like this generic like wizard in in Onslaught that was like a one, two mana one two or something like that and it was actually a pretty strong deck maybe it was just strong because I was terrible at magic at that point but um, I was just like I can't like I can't do anything about this. He just literally counters everything, and then he has Patron Wizard that counters everything. Like, what am I supposed to do about this? And between me and my friend, we figured out that there was like two cards at that time that completely hoses green, and it was Kavu Chameleon and Scragnoth. <laughs> I was like, we're do we're doing it, and lo and behold, you can't do anything as a blue deck against Scragnoth. Can't be countered pro blue. <laughs> <laughs> So for me, if you want to troll me, you build a commander deck with old cards with a full text box. Uh, I think on Commander Clash was Word of Command. I think Tomer played against me, and it's that instant where we didn't even know what it did. <laughs> and we, we, like it was cast, and we couldn't tell if it was a modal fail or not, because literally did not know what the card was supposed to do, even after reading the text box. And there are quite a few old modal car, uh, magic cards that do this. It's just... The, text box it's like size six fonts it's full of words and you're like i don't even know what this does just like, yeah. all, but hopefully something you know, happens yeah uh good old old car and before each cast do you guys intentionally choose different sides to an argument or do you disagree that much it's all organic wow. it's all organic yeah we it's a lot of this i mean we're 110 episodes in is a lot of it is off the cuff and no we don't pick sides blame chaz <laughs> Always blame Chaz. <laughs> what? D- disagree, with Chaz. disagree with Chaz to get a heated argument. 
But sometimes we play devil's advocate, but then it, it's kind of obvious we play devil's advocate, but most of the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we tend to agree a lot. We just we just we pick do. on we just pick on certain points where we disagree. Uh, next question. From Anonymous. Uh, I played competitive magic for a few years. I've had success winning 1K events and top eights of SEG opens. My question is about concessions. I was recently playing at an RPTQ and deep in the tournament, I played against a pro. We ended up being tight in time in game three. Uh, we were, when we were done playing, if I wanted to concede after showing me his hand, and I responded, "No, do you want me to concede?" And then no one conceded. There was a draw, and afterwards, his fellow teammate told me it was a courtesy to concede to a pro if I knew he had me beat. Parenthesis: He didn't. Is this something common in MTG, or is it just bullying? Wait, so he expected your opponent expected them to concede because they a, were a pro. Yeah. His team so, so his it, it was, teammates. So it was basically it was coming to a draw, the pro wanted a concession, he showed the hand that he thought, you know, he was gonna win and you had no chance, and then the the submitter thought that wasn't a winning hand and didn't concede, and then there was a draw because no one wanted to concede. And then the teammate came afterwards and said you should concede if you're if you're beat uh, because they're a pro. Uh, well, I think conceding because they're pro silly. Like, I think that idea yeah. is, uh, that's not true. I mean, I guess the thinking is they actually, pro points might matter to them uh, when they don't matter as much to you, but still, I don't think that's true. On the other hand, I personally, if I feel like I'm beaten in that situation, I may very well just concede. If I know I'm going to lose anyway, um, I might just concede out of niceness to my opponent, regardless of whether they're a pro or not. Yeah, I, I, if if there was a memo that that was a thing, I certainly did not get that. Yeah, I I don't I don't like the concession part, and I really hate it. You know, even if they have you quote unquote beat, it relies on them playing perfectly. You know, what they misplay or, or whatever, or what if you didn't evaluate the situation correctly? So I don't really like conceding. Uh, you know, I might concede if I'm playing for nothing and they're playing for top eight or something like that. But, you know, ha- to have that be expected, I think, is wrong. Yeah. Then you concede I mean, if you want. But to have that expectation right. that someone's going to yeah. concede to you, I, I think, is wrong. Uh, especially a teammate coming up and saying that now that's just, like, gang bullying and stuff. Yeah, that's like, not really cool. I, I've I don't never really, even heard of that. And, you know, it shouldn't be because they're a pro, right? Yeah, definitely not. I mean, yeah, I, like, if you want to make arguments said, of, yeah. yeah, your hand was better or whatever, you know, I guess you could go down that path. But if you're a pro, then play faster, man. Like... You know, if you know what you're doing, then don't get to the draw, right? So, right. so I don't really like that and aspect I get, of competitive magic. Yeah, and again, if if you're playing for nothing and they're playing for something, one thing. And I, I've been I've been doing that for quite some time. I mean, since I was a beginning player. I mean, if it's ben- mutually beneficial or you're not playing for something, you just want to be nice, that's fine. But it certainly shouldn't be expected. Yeah. Last question from Valor Ruthen. Uh, we had several questions similar to this, but. I've heard a lot of complaints about standard. How do you evaluate a good standard format, or if it's a bad standard format? Is there criteria to use, or is it basically just intuition and asking, "Am I fun, or am I having fun?" <laughs> I think, I think that's. And while it might be an obvious point, the last point is is pretty much the best. I mean, if you're having fun, I mean, I, I may not like. It's all subjective. I may not like a format that other people seem to love, like collected company i'm sure some other some people out there who love collected company 
you know, band co- company versus band company. Maybe someone loved it. So what what am I to say that they can't, that they shouldn't enjoy themselves? Um, I, I do think there's certain, you know, aspects of standard formats that a lot of players agree on, mostly just like, you know, how many viable archetypes there are and if it's just boring to watch or this, that, and the other thing. I, I don't, and this was obviously a question before, I don't think you can just have it perfect across the board. Although for me, there has been a couple perfect formats in the past that I can draw back to, but I'm certainly not expecting every standard to mimic those going forward. Like, I'm not looking for every standard format to mimic, like, Time Spiral Rav or uh, Kamigawa Rav. Those are the two best to me. Yeah, for me personally, you know, it's always am I having fun. Like, some of the best standard matches I remember are just the Mono Black Devotion days, where it's just Mono Black mirrors left and right. Terrible viewing experience, but very fun gameplay in my mind. But in general, I think when I'm evaluating the format, it's really the diversity of decks and whether, you know, week in and week out, are we seeing the same thing? You know, it could be the perfectly balanced standard where you have rock, paper, scissors, but there's only three decks, and the entire season we only see three decks. I think that makes for a poor experience. Uh, Even though theoretically it's balanced, uh, players will get bored of the format relatively quickly. Uh, Players love seeing new decks come up and uh, kind of dethrone the existing king. So it has something to do with brewing and diversity of decks. And I don't think anyone ever complains that, oh, you know, there's a new deck this week, this is terrible, you know, but we always get the complaint of, oh, Mardu Vehicles again? Oh, how fun. Uh, You know, Smuggler's Copter? Yeah, we've only seen 80 copies of those. (laughs) So it has something to do with brewing and... I think for me it's a mixture. Like, on a personal level... It's all about if I'm having fun. Like, I honestly don't think our current standard uh, in an objective, uh, from an objective perspective, is actually a very great standard format. It's kind of boring, the same decks, but personally, I'm having a ton of fun because I can play all these janky combos that aren't going to be tier one, but they're competitive enough that I can play them. So uh, on a personal level, I like it, but I think there are data points to look at, which you guys mentioned some of them, like how many decks are there, um, the most dominant cards? Are you seeing the top card in the format being in uh, 40% of decks, 80% of decks, things like that? Uh, the diversity among the cards. I think price plays into it to some extent too. Like, are there cheap decks that people can actually play or is it like Battle for Zendikar where uh, you have this big price barrier? So I think there are like objective data points to look at as well. But when it comes right down to it on a personal level, the only thing that really matters is are you having fun? And if you are, it doesn't, none of that other stuff really matters personally to you. All right. That's all of our fish meal for this week. Thank you everyone for sending them in. Yeah, thanks everyone. Those were some great questions. To go, to go a little bit more on your your point set just out the door, uh, Frank Lapore tweet. Uh, met, I think it was on Facebook was the first original uh, message that eighty three cards out of like fourteen hundred and eight cards in standard are seeing standard play right now competitively, which is kind of interesting. I think so, that's low. I, I think that's I, I, less I diverse like that's than normal, too. but that's I'd have to. Low. I'd have to like actually research old formats to say 100%, yeah. but I, I'm pretty confident that that's less diversity than most formats. Yeah, that's, that, that definitely felt low to me. But yeah, objectively, it's like... But but I, you could still like decks from the format. Like I personally like the Black Green Constrictor list. I, I, that's just a deck I would love to play. There's all cards that I like in it. Like I like the Constrictor. I like Rishkar. I like Ballista. I like uh, the... Uh, what's the demon? Mindrack demon. So to me, that's fine. To other people, like... They don't want to see that every single time, and I get that. But, um, yeah, 
I mean, it's all about having fun. I think the closest thing to, to, to the perfect standard was uh, there's another one in there that was pretty good. If you was, say uh, Ravnica again, Chaz. No, 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 no. no. It was, uh, it was um, Innistrad and RTR. Like, right up until the very end, I mean, I get, like, you know, Bonfire. Like, it was pretty expensive. I mean, like, Bonfire the Damned, and you had, like, Thrag Tusk, and that wasn't really cool. But there was actually a lot of decks now that I look back. You know why? Because Thrag Tusk made everything viable. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm dying. Thrag Tusk, I've stabilized good. <laughs> dying to Thrag Tusk, I play my own Thrag Tusk, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's those stabilizing cards. It's, 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 it's like Blood Moon. It's like when you slap down the floor, jank you on afterwards because you got the game on cruise control. So it's like you, you thrag tusk. You're like, I'm good now. Now I can do whatever I want. I can play my own game plan. Yeah. <laughs> so you, got, you need those stabilizing cards, and once you have enough of them, they then it becomes super diverse. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Snapcaster, Mage, and all. I mean, I actually had a good time, yeah. and I, the Aristocrats list didn't have thread. I mean, there was other decks that like didn't have those marquee cards that did well, yeah. and then at the end, it kind of really got like warped. Good mana. Yeah, you fetch, that you fetch lands in standard. That's what, no. that's what it's saying. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end it off. Uh, gentlemen, we're going to have a lot more uh, to talk about. We're super hyped. I mean, I, again, I did not see this coming. I'm glad this is really a huge boon to players. All right, so that's going to be the MTG Goldfish Crew signing out for this week. We will talk to you all next time. Bye.